joining Human Interest today. Really appreciate it. My name is Marianne Reese, and I'm your host for the program. Uh, just to let you know, the, our primary intent for the program is to share information that, that may lead to a more, and we hope, to a more holistic awareness of, of various issues and perspectives that will help us uh, become better, a better society, a better people. And again, the perhaps even a fair and more just world around us. So again, thank you for joining Human Interest. In the studio today uh, with me is our producer, Rob Rourke. Thank you for being with us. And I have two guests, and I'm very pleased to uh, let you know that the chief of the San Marcos Police Department, Stan Stanridge, is our guest. And I really appreciate your taking time, and we're glad that you were able to, to join us. And and our second guest is Stephanie Korchek, and Stephanie serves as one of nine members on the chief's uh, panel, his advisory panel, and she was helped facilitate getting the chief to be uh, our guest today. So, so thank you, Stephanie. What I want to do before really get into any significant questions is give you just a little background uh, that Chief Stanridge uh, has developed over his years of service. And the first is that when he graduated from high school, was that in Abilene or where, where were you in high school? Actually, I graduated from Brownwood High School. I was a lion. All right. <laughs> close, uh, that's close enough to Abilene, isn't it? It's that about an right? hour, 10 minute commute from Abilene, right. yes. So after uh, graduating from high school, he mentioned that within 30 days, he was a member of the U.S. Air Force. And were you in for I didn't notice with three years or a couple of years. Or? I did. I did four years. So wow. thirty days after high school, I spent four years in the U.S. Air Force. Two years overseas in Germany, and then two years stateside. Uh, joined the Air Force to see the world. They sent me to Germany. That part was fulfilled. <laughs> then they sent me back to Abilene. <laughs> oh no! Really? Back to Abilene? Yeah, back to Abilene. So my <laughs> final two years was in Abilene, Texas, at Dallas Air Force Base, which actually was a remarkable blessing. Well, then in 1995, that's when you were, went back to Abilene. No, I actually went back to Abilene for my, my second half of my Air Force. So okay. I actually went back to Abilene in 1991, and I just stayed in Abilene after I exited the Air Force. Okay. So in 1995, that's when you joined law enforcement in Abilene. Is right. That, I started, right. The process is a really long process. I'll tell people it's about a 20-month process. So I actually started the process in 1994 and my actual physical police academy started january 10th of 1995. i don't know if this is an important question but why does it take so long probably because i'm really dense and it takes at least 20 months no um, <laughs> well if you think about it the the pipeline to hire a professional police officer today uh, you number one have to make it known that you're hiring so you have to go out and recruit by the time you recruit and then garner the interest, then you have to actually go through a competitive testing process because we're civil service. So civil service jobs are based upon merit and a competitive testing process. So you go through a lengthy testing process. You go through a physical fitness examination. You have to undergo a psychological evaluation, a medical screen. And then, oh, by the way, you also have to undergo a minimum of a 40-hour background investigation. Oh if you gosh. make it through all of that, 
you go to an oral board and the oral board ultimately decides your fate. And so it's about that, that process alone can take four to six months. And then when you enter the academy, that's six months of training. And then you have another two and a half months of field training. So by the time you say, yes, I want to be a police officer, to the time you are doing the job by yourself, it's about a 20-month process. Okay, that's, that's amazing. Is that a Texas process? Is that a United States process? Or That's a really good question. So the, the state of Texas has a licensing and regulatory commission. It's called TECL, Texas Commission on Law Enforcement they establish the minimum standards. So as an example, let's say the minimum standards for a police officer's academy in Texas is, I'm just gonna throw a number out, 700 hours. You can go above and beyond that in places like San Marcos and Abilene did go way above and beyond that because that's the minimum standard. So um, Abilene at the time I went through it in the police academy was about a six month academy Whereas if we probably could have gone to another academy, it could have been as long as four months. Well, that, that helps me then understand because I, as I finished looking at your bio, that once you joined the Abilene Police Force, 1995, that in 14 years you went from a patrol officer to a sergeant to a lieutenant to assistant chief, and then in 2009 you were made chief. Yeah, I can't really explain that uh, trajectory. <laughs> I think the background check and all that <laughs> explains a lot. Um, I, was, I was very blessed. I'm just going to be really candid. Uh, it's, it's not about me. It's, it's, it's about the one who controls my life. And I've been given remarkable opportunity. And because I've been given remarkable opportunity, I've had remarkable challenge. I've had, re I just remind people all the time that kites rise against the wind not with it. So <laughs> I would submit to you that my whole career has been characterized by challenge after challenge after challenge. So a lot of people look at that, look at me and say, oh, he made chief in 13 and a half years. Yeah, but you had no idea what it took to get there. It's been a very, very difficult road and continues to be. It's, it's just a difficult time to be in professional policing. Yes, it in is. In Texas, in the United States, really worldwide. And it's a very difficult time to be a police chief. Well, once you did get the status of the chief, you stayed there 11 years. And you're kind of addressing another thought I had is my experience in different leadership positions and posi that it, it is very difficult to climb, I'll use the, the, the cliche, climb the ladder in the same system. And you went from patrol officer to chief and then lasted in that position 11 years until you chose to come to San Marcos and November of 2020, but mm -hmm. how did you do that? So I, Proverbs tells us that plans fail due to lack of counsel. And I don't ever want to fail, so I always seek lots of counsel. So I sought lots of counsel, and I asked this question early in my career. Is it in my best interest to promote early and often? Or when I find a job I really enjoy doing, should I stay there and just in enjoy that happiness factor. And the counsel that I got was, if you truly want to influence people, then you need to promote early and often. So wow. I give you this dichotomy of perspective. When I joined the SWAT team in Abilene, and I would eventually become the SWAT commander, 
I thought I had arrived. I was doing something. I was leading men. They were all men on the team. I was leading men. I was leading a, a two patrol day shifts at the time. I was absolutely enjoying life as a patrol lieutenant and the SWAT commander. And I thought, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my career. And then a vacancy, my, my mentor, my, specifically my Christian mentor, uh, Mark Moore, he would eventually retire and go off to be a, a, a pastor. He retires, and so he leaves the vacancy at the assistant chief level. And so I went to him and I said, I'm having the time of my life. What do I do? And he reminded me, if you have the opportunity to influence people, you should consider promoting. So the Abilene Police Department promoted me on April Fool's Day of 2008 <laughs> to assistant chief. That was a not-so-subtle message. And then the very next year, I made the chief of police. And again, this isn't uh, to toot my own horn. This, I just want everybody to recognize that with that blessing comes a, a remarkable set of difficulties. And it's been very, very been a tough road to hoe. Do you want to talk about that road? <sighs> and if you don't, that's okay. Well, let, let me, first of all, let me give a shout out to my way better half, uh, Beth. I think my <laughs> wife is listening right now. And um, wonder, I'm married to an exceptional person. Uh, Beth is my bride and my confidant. And uh, we are a blended family and we have seven kiddos. They're all grown. They're outside of the home. We have amazing seven kids, and uh, three of them are married, so we have a pretty large family. And so I think if uh, you know Beth and I were sitting here and talking about some of the adversity we have walked through, it would be line-of-duty deaths, uh, your employees dying while in service, not necessarily killed, um, cancer, I hate it, watching, <laughs> watching a friend, watching one of your employees die, due to cancer and it being over such a prolonged time period. And I think everybody can relate to this because they have family members who have succumbed to cancer. Um, and then remarkable violence. I just, just the sheer number of violent crimes that I have been at and dead people and dead kids. Um, one of the ones I remember, remember distinctly is um, we had two precious little girls who were crushed to death on a crash on Interstate 20 in Abilene. And I just remember standing right outside of their crushed SUV and all I could do was pray over them. So it's those types of issues that in this profession, you're gonna walk very closely with. So that's where your beliefs and your strength comes to help you through that, I guess. I think, I think a lot of that is, um, it's also, you have to be rooted in mission and for me that mission is to uh, steward very carefully uh, the men and women in this case right now of the San Marcos Police Department both sworn and our professional staff you know a lot of times we forget about our civilian employees but they're a third of the workforce those professional staff they're critical so it, I consider it my noble responsibility mm -hmm. to really steward them through this very difficult time because if it's difficult on me, it's difficult on them. And so I've got to stay positive. I've got to stay focused. I've got to stay on mission if I expect them to do the same thing. Yeah. Well, I, I know that you mentioned your SWAT team and that you mm -hmm. were 10 years, I think, mm -hmm. dealing with that. But what other training have you gone through that has 
aided you in your career and, and the ability to stay strong. I know you, something about FBI and you, mm -hmm. leadership and ethics that you have taught. And yeah, I started teaching early in my career. Uh, probably by my fifth year of an, as an officer, I started teaching. It's my belief that you really get to know the subject when you teach the subject. I agree with that. And so early on, I was exposed to the opportunity to teach and I specifically taught about ethics and professionalism. I taught active attack concepts. I've been now with uh, Alert, Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response. It's actually here in San Marcos, and it's actually a component of Texas State University. And so I've now been with them. Next year will be 20 years teaching with them. Hmm. You mentioned the FBI. I went to the FBI National Academy at uh, Quantico, Virginia, and I spent... Hmm about three months of my life, really just being submerged in leadership and uh, managerial competency and ethics and crime and combating crime. And so I've had remarkable opportunities, um, which is good because we have remarkable challenges here in San Marcos. <laughs> yes, we, we will talk about that. But right. I think we need to go to break. Thank you. You're welcome. Stay tuned. Come back. You are listening to Human Interest here on KZSM.org, KZSM LPFM 104.1, San Marcos, Texas. As a reminder, the views expressed on this show are those of the hosts, the guests, and not necessarily those of KZSM or SMTX CRA, its governing board. And we're going to be right back with you after this quick station ID break. While the holidays bring with it the feelings of warmth, family, friends, and loved ones gathering together and creating memories to last through the years. It's our hope here at KZSM that you'll invite us into your home, your car, and your gatherings, and let us become part of your family traditions. Our local programming features many holiday specials from the hosts that keep KZSM running and you entertained. While we share our passion and our love for entertaining you, we hope that you will share your love with us as well by hitting the Donate Now button located at kzsm.org. True Community Radio. Right here, right now, folks. Here for you. Do you love listening to great music? Are you interested in topics that can blow your mind? Do you like having a good time when listening to the radio? If so, then listen to Into the Gray, Friday mornings, 10 till noon. Into the Gray is a public interest radio program we can all enjoy. That's Into the Gray, Friday mornings, 10 a.m. until noon on KZSM.org in San Marcos, Texas. Texas Preparatory School San Marcos invites all adults from the community for Walk With Us. Walk With Us is a twice-weekly opportunity for parents, teachers, and San Marcos community members to enjoy the benefits of walking together, engaging in conversations, building meaningful relationships, and strengthening the bonds that make San Marcos such a special place to live. Parents with children attending Texas Preparatory School can trust that their kids will be in capable hands while they enjoy the walk. To walk with us, please join us at 4 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays on our San Marcos campus, located at 400 Euland Road. Texas Preparatory School San Marcos is committed to its mission of enriching lives, and empowering its community members. Walk With Us is an embodiment of this commitment. I started too soon. I will learn someday, but maybe not. 
I've really enjoyed what we've been talking about, and I want to go back to your bio that I read online, and I was really struck by uh, what it says, kind of your your mission, your self-mission. And it reads pretty much like this. It states that as a leader, your primary passion is to faithfully steward those in your charge, which you mentioned just before you went to break, and to build authentic relationships with the community you serve. And before I ask something a little more specific about that, your mission statement or your belief, is um, I noted that in a document called Looking Forward, San Marcos Police Department that was uh, written or in April of 2023, one thing that really struck, struck me was this statement. Our unique, unique city, and I'm putting in this, the population of San Marcos is about 70,000. 68,000, 70,000. So our unique city being fed economically by two major shopping malls, traveled by a major Texas interstate highway, which is I-35, and home to a major Texas university. And Texas State has 38, 39,000 students this semester. And it goes on to say, these things place San Marcos and its residents in a perfect storm explain the perfect storm that we were sitting in. What has caused that? What is it? So I think a lot of people who have grown up and spent a considerable amount of time in San Marcos suffer from the boiling frog syndrome. You've been in the hot water for so long, you don't even realize it's boiling. However, Beth and I have only been in San Marcos for uh, a little over three years. So we come from West Texas. We came from Abilene. Abilene is somewhat geographically isolated. Granted, it's on the Interstate 20 corridor. It's midway between Dallas-Fort Worth and Midland, Odessa. But Abilene did not have the types of issues that we experienced here in San Marcos. So because hmm. Abilene, because Beth and I can see the forest through the trees, we got here and we realized this is a bit of a forest. I-35 corridor is a game changer for our city. I think all of us would recognize that if we commute it every day mm -hmm. like I do. I-35, so I'm going to give you some numbers. Okay. I'm sure your, your, your listeners are, have, have no desire to talk about statistics, but let me paint a picture for just a second. In the last decade, the last 10 years that we were in Abilene, we reduced violent crime 34%. Pat myself on the back, 34%. My, my team, it was a team effort, did a great job. That's our large reduction. I come to San Marcos in that same 10 years, Violent crime grew 168%. So mm. wrap your mind around that. Abilene is a much larger city. We reduced crime 34. I come here, it's increased 168% for just violent crime. So I, I get here and I, I'm really going to have to take a deep dive into, okay, what's driving that? And so I required staff to go back and examine every homicide for the last 10 years, every robbery for the last five years, and every aggravated assault for the last two years. An aggravated assault is a crime typified by them using a deadly weapon or they cause serious bodily injury. So they did the deep dive and they learned that 30% of all violent offenses in San Marcos are being contributed to by three cities, three cities. 
because of us being located on the 35 corridor and so close to Houston, Austin, and San Antonio, oh gosh. we have a remarkable amount of violent crime and property crime in our city that cannot be attributed to our good citizens. It can be contributed to those outside of the city. Now, just recently, we haven't published this data yet, but just recently, we evaluated an entire years of arrests. 46% of all of our arrests, I think the number was over 1,700 arrests, 46% of those have zero connection to do with San Marcos or Hayes County. Good grief. So one or out Hayes of every County. two. Or Hayes County. So that's what I say when it's the perfect storm. You've got the outlet malls, you've got the river, you've got the university. A lot of people don't realize this. Okay, you talked about heads on beds, populations 68, 70,000. What people don't realize is the daily population increase, according to the Greater San Marcos Partnership, is about 62,000 people. What does that mean? Another 62,000 people come into the San Marcos daily. An another. Another 62,000. So your population swells <laughs> in excess of 120,000. And with that comes a litany of social issues, both good and bad. Let's admit it. It's a two-edged sword. The blessing is you have really good commerce and you have great shopping and you've got great entertainment and food. And there's a lot of great things that Beth and I love about San Marcos. The second edge of that sword is also with that comes traffic crashes. We have more than 3,000 traffic crashes annually. And we have a ton of violent crime. We have a ton of car burglaries and those kinds of things. So we just need to be very mindful when we talk about San Marcos. San Marcos is a it's a pretty big macro issue so so when again 62,000 on an average day come through mean go to the mall go to the university to a game to right. or just drive up and down I-35 there's going to probably be some kind of touch point that's not there has to be a touch point right there's going to be a touch point off of I-35 correct that's an amazing statistic okay so the perfect storm is is the 122,000, 125,000 people. Are, are, are the, this is something you may or may not. Are the students at the university considered residents? That's a great question, Marianne. Are the students at the university considered residents? <laughs> yeah. Stephanie, are the students at the university considered residents? I don't I think, think so. At, I think the way the they get to vote. is at the time <laughs> the census is taken, where are you residing? Yeah. And what did they put on their census report? Right. So I, I, I'm somewhat joking about that because that's the million dollar question in San Marcos. What is actually your population? Yeah. And is it inclusive of all the kiddos at the university? The answer is everybody realizes it's probably not. Well, so that's the perfect storm. And then I want to go back to your, your mission statement when you, you talk about stewarding uh, for your faculty and staff, as you mentioned. So what, how do you steward? What, what are the initiatives or actions or where do you actualize so your stewardship? I, I'm a vision-oriented chief. Um, if you were to come to me, Marianne, and say, hey, can you pull the data and show me in a spreadsheet, you know, two years worth of this or that, I'd look at you and say, no, 
I'm just not, I, I'm not that kind of person. I'm more vision. I'm a, I'm a, what they call a relational innovator. I love to bring people together through relationship and innovate. And so one of the first things that we did as a team when I got to San Marcos is we sat down and we crafted a strategic business plan. And it was a five-year plan. Where are we going and how are we going to get there? And so we articulated six goals. So how do we steward this relationship? Goal number one was the San Marcos Police Department will have the trust and confidence of the community. I'm going to be candid with you. When I first got here, I don't think that was true. And we can talk about that. I think that your police department and your police chief has to be rooted in apology. So I just want every listener right now to hear your police chief, me, Stan Standridge, say, on behalf of my chosen profession, I'm sorry. We have failed you. We have failed you across the nation. We failed you in San Marcos. There have been plenty of instances where police have not acted in the best interest of our citizens. We have to recognize that. With that said, we have to have a very high level of accountability. And so if you were to talk to people who know me well, they will tell you that I'm a stern disciplinarian. I believe in absolute due process. I believe in comprehensive investigations, but I'm also a disciplinarian. So we have worked very consciously in the last three years about to create a culture of accountability. Because it's my belief that legitimacy is something that's conferred on us. We can't assume it. Our citizens confer legitimacy. So we have to be rooted in apology. We have to create a culture of accountability. And one of the ways that we do that, a very specific instrument, is we're now an able recognized department. ABLE is an acronym that stands for Active Bystandership for Law Enforcement, where we have a policy and we have training and every employee goes through it where there is an expectation that if you see an officer do something that's deficient, you will intervene. So we also brought on more internal affairs investigators. And here's one of the bigger things that we have done. We created an event review board. Again, I believe that we have to inspect what we expect. So we created an event review board. <laughs> it reviews every pursuit, every crash, and every use of force. They meet every month to review all of those. So those are the things that we're doing to earn the trust and the confidence of the community so that we can steward our citizens. Who is, who is the group that does the inspection? Who, who the event they? review board? Uh -huh, yeah. So the city has the risk manager sit on there, and it's chaired by a commander. And then there are members of uh, investigations and patrol and, I believe, traffic. So it's a kind of a multidisciplinary uh, approach to review. Chief, when you institute, when did you institute this? The event review board came, I believe, in 2021. How many officers did you lose? <laughs> so there's this myth. In fact, the chief's advisory panel, Stephanie and the team talked about this last night. There's this myth uh, among some in San Marcos that there's no accountability at the San Marcos Police Department. And this myth is perpetuated by one specific person who preceded me. And I'm just going to tell you right now, the department did not handle it well. 
the department made mistakes. However, with that said, since I have been here, this team, and it's a team approach, has created a culture of accountability. So I would submit to you that more than 50 people have walked out of our door because they have not maintained our standards or met our standards. Think about that. More than 50 people. There's a very high level of accountability today in the San Marcos Police Department. That is very significant. Yeah, it's just the untold story. Nobody actually out there knows that. Instead, they want to stay focused on the narrative about the one employee who did something heinous. I'm going to call it criminal because it should have been criminally prosecuted, but it didn't happen because the grand jury um, in Bastrop County did not indict the officer. I don't know why. Do I, I believe that it was criminal. I also believe that the department did not handle that situation well. But that's, that's history. Moving forward, we have a very high level of accountability. But you're right. History, once written, it's hard to correct it. Uh, you know, and, and then I don't know how else you do it, but give this kind of information. Yeah, that's to why us I'm appreciative of this opportunity. Absolutely, that's 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 amazing. <laughs> that in two years, especially after you talk about a 20-month process, it's it's hard to lose those kind of officers, I guess, or that well, many people. Yeah, it's officers kind. and professional staff. So yeah. it's, it's both, right? So have you increased, have you filled those gaps? I would imagine, as you said, with the crime increasing and our population, whatever it is, or do you have a, or the, I guess, I'm, do you have enough officers? Is that something that we are behind in with, with that kind of significant and, and correct yeah, change? That's a really good question. And I know a lot of people like to, uh, verbally attack the city council because they're not giving the police department enough police officers. I just say unequivocally that's not true. This uh, this city council in the last several years has been most of this city council in the last several years has been very supportive of the police department. They have given us additional positions. When I got here, the number of authorized police officers was 108. It's now 123. So we have grown this agency. Council has been very responsive. Now, with that said, the, we have about a 30% attrition rate. So we hire, we hire, we hire, but for every 10 we hire, we lose three because it's a very difficult process. I think this might be another good time to take a break. Folks, stay with us. Come back and visit with our chief. And you are listening to KZSM.org, KZSM LPFM 104.1, San Marcos, Texas, 78666. And this is Human Interest. Uh, you can catch this show every once a month on the first Thursday uh, from 2 until 3 o'clock. And uh, we'll be right back with you. What's in the daily news? I'll tell you what's in the daily news. Story about a guy who bought his wife a small ruby with what otherwise would have been his union dues. That's what's in the daily news. Read the latest news about KZSM.org, your true community radio station, every Sunday in the San Marcos Daily Record. Look for our call letters in the headline of our exclusive column. The San Marcos Daily Record has been serving our community with news, features, sports, and opinion for over 100 years. Pick up your copy at your nearest grocery or convenience store. 
To subscribe to the print or electronic editions, go to www.sanmarcusrecord.com or call 512-392-2458. Hey, reggae lovers. It's your weekly reggae escape. I'm Lady K, your navigator of good vibes and your gateway to the reggae universe. And Big Up Reggae on KZSM 104.1 is your Sunday vibe. Join me every Sunday, 3 to 4 p.m. for a reggae experience like no other. From timeless classics to today's freshest reggae vibes, we've got it all. Listen, speak, and learn from the many different voices of our diverse community. Join us from 7 to 8.30 p.m. on the second Thursday of each month for Voices at the Table. This free series features guest speakers from different cultural groups in our community with the aim of building awareness and understanding of different perspectives and experiences. You'll hear from racial and ethnic groups, religious and spiritual groups, LGBTQIA, and other marginalized populations. Voices at the Table is brought to you by the San Marcos Unitarian Universalist Fellowship and meets at First Christian Church, 3105 Ranch Road 12 in San Marcos. Bring your questions and engage in lively dialogue. We'll see you there. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, before we uh, go back and talk with our police chief, Stan Standridge, I wanted to mention that uh, the KZSM Community Radio is uh, supporting a toy drive and we would love for you to drop by unwrapped packages toys for kids uh, outside the station on Guadalupe 216 Guadalupe North uh, that anything that you would like to share would be well appreciated these toys are going to uh, be going to Southside Community Center uh, so think about it appreciate it and now back to our chief I mentioned before about his mission statement. I, I'm going to say that whether it's appropriate or not, but it's, <laughs> it's close. But talking about his primary passion is to faithfully steward those in your charge, in his charge, and to build authentic relationships with the community that he serves. We've spoken right before the break about the, the stewardship of the staff and, and police officers that, that you oversee. What about the authentic relationships with the community what what are you doing to develop that yes yeah, so when we talk about community i think it's important to preface that our community is not as homogenized as everybody thinks it is you know we think community you know the root word is unity my my experience regardless of where I've, wherever i have been is we really are not that homogenized we have remarkable poverty in san marcus we have remarkable affluence in San Marcos. We have educated, we have non-educated. We have very well served, we have underserved. So when you say community in San Marcos, you have to be careful because you can be speaking about community, but speaking very differently to very different audiences. Mm. So when I say community, I'm thinking typically of our underserved, mental health, our homeless, 
those are two very specific examples. We are doing a ton of work that I hope we have enough time to talk about related to mental health. Absolutely. I'm a big believer that if we want different, we have to do different. And we are doing different in mental health at a very remarkable pace. Also, as it relates to homelessness, a lot of good things are being done on homelessness. And so I tell people all the time, if you give people random expectations, you get random results. So we have to go back to what's the vision? How do we get there? So when it comes to community, uh, we have a great city manager. Let me just say uh, Miss Stephanie Reyes is a phenomenal city manager. I hope you entertain the idea of having her on here. She's doing remarkable things to bringing greater unity within the community. And, uh, but my specific pieces of the puzzle are typically associated with the underserved. Well, speak about the mental health. Uh, I think that you have a unit, mental health unit, I believe. Yeah, but I'll go back even further. So okay. um, the mental health unit is comprised of a corporal and two officers. And that's what it was when I got here. Uh, Chief Chase Stapp, I believe, is the one that created the mental health unit, and they did it first under a, a federal grant. So hats off to Chief Stapp. He's now the assistant city manager. But when I get here, um, I brought some experiences with me that we had done in Abilene that showed remarkable success. And so now we are replicating some of those successes. And it's not about Abilene. It's about best practices. These things are being done across the nation. So we started with what's called a SIM workshop, a sequential intercept model workshop. And the concept behind the SIM workshop is we had about 72 people crammed into the public safety building over at the Sheriff's Department. And we examined over a couple of days how people with behavioral health needs encounter and move through the criminal justice system. When you actually sit down and kind of plot out at the time of 911 or even before, all the way through to post-adjudication, those who have serious mental illness, it's very eye-opening. So we started with a sequential intercept model. And there's a formal report out there. If anybody's interested, they can contact the police department. We'll give them a copy of that. And then from that, one of the, the byproducts was we created what's called the BAT, Behavioral Advisory Team. And myself and Judge Elaine Brown from the Mental Health Court, we chair the Behavioral Advisory Team. And there are about 20 of us and we are a leadership group who serve as an advisory committee. We advise and inform on public policy. So I'm going to give you some specific goals related to mental health, how we're doing different. We have five specific goals. Number one, we want to expand crisis options for those who are experiencing crisis through the development of a diversion center. Diversion, yeah. Yeah, diverting from what? The Hayes County Jail. <laughs> it's not going to surprise anybody, even your listeners, that the number one treatment site for mental health remains our county jails in the nation. Our county jails are the largest in supplier the of mental health in the nation. Wow. So we believe that if we're going to do different, we have to, if we want different, we have to do different. So we want to divert people away from jail and to what's called a low barrier drop-off center where they can be stabilized. Because people with serious mental illness are likely off their medications and they need a period of respite to get back on their medications so that they can rejoin society. 
They don't need to be locked up. That's our belief within the behavioral advisory team. So there's actual planning that's occurring across the county with Kyle and Buda and the city of San Marcos. All of us are working on this together. We also want to develop um, an assertive community treatment program so that when people are released from incarceration, because there's, there's quite a few people in jail right now with mental health who are going to be released. If they aren't released with a specific treatment plan and case management, then they're going to simply relapse and it's going to be cyclical. So we're working on that. We also are, want to have a coordinated behavioral health office. So Marianne, if you have a loved one in your family who is suffering from a mental health crisis, where do you get help? Who do you call? Right now, people call 911. Why? Yeah. We're not the mental health experts. Well, the answer, I already know the answer. It's rhetorical. They call 911 because our costs are already baked into the pie. They know somebody's going to answer the phone, and they know somebody's going to come. The problem is we're sending the wrong people. So I'm a firm believer that we need a behavioral health office so that if Marianne has a family member in crisis or even before the crisis occurs, you know where to get help. You know where to get resources. And you don't have to wait until the crisis has erupted and then you have to call us. Because when you call us, what typically happens? Typically ends in an arrest. Sure. And then we're right back into that same cycle. So those are some of the examples of what we are doing different with mental health. It's showing some remarkable progress already. We just actually met yesterday. We met for about an hour and a half. We're now talking about possibly, we'll know next month, creating a mental health coordinating committee where the cities of Buda, Kyle, San Marcos, hopefully the university and the county are part of about a 12 member uh, committee and they are informing and funding mental health strategies for our citizens. I don't know about you, but I think that sounds like a pretty good idea. Sounds like a pretty good idea. And you need a facility, a diversion center that, that's not the jail and not, so that's part of that yep. funding. And, and there's a local substance abuse provider. They provide, currently in San Marcos, they provide inpatient services. We've had conversations with them. What would it look like for you to stand up a smaller wing and provide services for mental health crisis? Those conversations are now occurring. So think about it. If we could drop them off at a place that has inpatient psychiatric services instead of the jail, everybody wins. Our families win. The client wins. And you, especially if you're mom and you're calling for your adult son, I, it just, it's got to break the mom's heart when she calls 911 and the son goes to jail. Right. It's not a good solution. So we're looking at doing different. I'm also really excited to say that we've now stood up our first ever BTAG. We love acronyms in policing. <laughs> uh, BTAG stands for Behavioral Threat Assessment Group. Right now, it's probably not going to surprise anybody, about once a week we come across just in San Marcos, threats to life, where somebody is threatening either mass murder mm. or they're threatening a known person, and so it's known as a threat to life. How do you manage that threat to life will determine, ultimately, if we can save people. 
And so again, if we give people random expectations, we get random results. So we created a B tag. I'm very happy to report that everybody, Cal, Buda, County, University, San Marcos, everybody was supportive of this idea. Um, we have officially stood it up. The actual working group meets in two weeks and they are going to start working threats to lives, threats to lives, I think would be the proper English, so that we ultimately don't experience any type of uh, mass attack here in San Marcos or Cal or Buda. So that's another good thing that's coming down the pipeline associated with mental health. One last thing. So I talked earlier about the sequential intercept model. And I know I use a lot of this fancy language but because it, it's the world I live in. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to drill it, down, um, drill it down for the benefit of the listeners. When you, Marianne, as a mom, call 911 because your adult son is in crisis, um, nine times out of ten, you're going to get two cops dispatched. What if the son is not armed and hasn't committed a crime? Why should we send two cops? So I'm trying to work with our local mental health authority. They are already under contract for a telecrisis service, telephone crisis service. They're called AVAIL, A-V-A-I-L. I'm trying to get a contract worked out through our local mental health authority so that when my 911 dispatcher receives a call from the mom who reports an issue with her son and he's not armed and he hasn't committed a crime, that we call AVAIL crisis services and we do a warm handoff and we allow mental health professionals to talk to the mom and possibly even the son and the police stay out of it man that'd be a huge win for the city of san marcus we did it in abilene i want to do it here then i would love for the other chiefs and they're all for this to do that in kyle and buta and at the sheriff's department so a lot of good things being done on mental health. I could talk about that for hours. So I hope no, that answered your that's question. That's all wonderful. It all sounds right, you know, and appropriate. Well, one other thing, and I, I know our time is dwindling so much more. I know you could share, but I, I would like to hear about the, uh, the advisory panel that you have established and what the work is of that group, because I, I know it involves community members as well as staff. Yeah, so earlier, uh, Stephanie. <laughs> yeah, you, you introduced Stephanie Korchek. So Stephanie is part of the Chief's Advisory Panel, and I have hogged the microphone. So Stephanie, what are you doing on the Chief's Advisory Panel? <laughs> um, the, the panel actually predates um, mm -hmm. our current chief, but um, I have served on it since June of 21, and currently there are six citizen members and four uh department members, some patrol, some professional staff. Um, over the summer, several of us citizen folk approached the chief about changing the policy for that panel because we felt like we weren't charged with truly representing the community. Um, in other words, there, we weren't charged in that policy to actively pursue input from the community, to actively go out and engage the community in um, policing issues. Uh, a very important point is we are not advocates for the police department in the sense of whatever the chief tells us to say, we're going to say. 
Um, but we are the link between, the formal link between the chief and our community. Um, and so we just completed rewriting that policy. It was approved last night. Um, the citizen membership will increase to nine members. Um, and if you're interested in serving on that committee, please email the department um, so that the chief can get information from you. He'll make those appointments in January. Um, but we are in this transition phase of um, the citizen members, obviously, especially wanting to create a very strategic approach to how do we get the panel members out into all parts of our community and really understand what their concerns are while also explaining what we have learned about the department and just create a better conversation between the two. Um, we have been accused by some as being yes people. Um, I, I can assure you that's not true, and the chief, I think, will concur. How will we, echo that? We push and, and back. And I know Stephanie well enough to know that, that she would not um, be a part of that. But, yeah, we, we have very candid but respectful conversations. As the chief said, it's a very difficult time to be in law enforcement. And uh, to a person, we respect our officers, but we also know that there are issues that need to be addressed, and the chief has gone a long way to addressing many of them. Yeah. Um, but there's always more work to do, and we want to support him in that work while also challenging him in that work to be sure that that our community is appropriately um, represented and that the problems yeah. are getting to the chief in a in a yeah. productive way that he can address them. Every time you use the term community, I go back to your your statement, uh, Chief, about the community is is not not a whole. It's yeah. you know it's the fragments are are real and apparent, but the underserved and I don't I don't know who is that included. Is that homeless included in underserved or oh yes? How do they count if they're? I've always wondered, kind yeah, of yeah. So how every year. Um, cities like San Marcos do what's called a pit survey, a point-in-time survey. And the goal is to uh, provide specific data associated with how many actual homeless people live in San Marcos. Now, that could be inclusive of kids who are couch surfing. It's inclusive of chronically homeless. Or it could be inclusive of people who are homeless for the last couple of days, as an example. And the average number for the city of San Marcos is going to be, it normally hovers about 200. So we have about 200 homeless neighbors. And I use that phrase specifically, mm. intentionally. I like we that. have about 200 homeless neighbors in San Marcos. So with that said, uh, what do we do with those 200? Because I'm going to tell you right now, there is a dearth of resources in San Marcos. What does that mean? There are not a lot of resources for our homeless. <laughs> there are not exclamation point. We struggle with affordable housing in San Marcos. We have no transitional housing in San Marcos. With the exception of what we have at the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center for victims of domestic violence, mm -hmm. there is no transitional housing in San Marcos, if you think about that. So what do you do with the person who is in fact homeless? Well, first of all, you have to ask, do they want assistance? Because some do not, but they're not the majority. Secondly, you have to ask, who is homeless? Believe it or not, about half of them are women. 
People don't realize that. About half, even in San Marcos. No, that surprises me. And a lot of those are the result of domestic violence. So when you look at the homeless, you think it's an intentional decision. Be careful before you cast that judgment. Sometimes it could be a mental health situation. Sometimes it could be a domestic violence situation. Now, with that said, one of the ways that you can work to ensure that we stop the growth of homelessness in San Marcos is when you identify where they're from, if the answer isn't San Marcos, then our city has said, we will help you get home. Why? Because the statistics show that you have a better chance of recovering as far as home, finances, mental health, wellness, and resiliency if you're actually in your hometown environment, not in a strange land, strange, strange city. So we start there. Are you actually from San Marcos? If the answer is no, we will work with donors in San Marcos who've come forward and said, we will facilitate bus tickets and we'll actually send them back home because they will get better when they get back home. And they want to go home. And they want to, yeah, we don't force anybody, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we don't force anybody. We also have uh, two officers who work part-time in this. It's an ancillary duty, meaning it's above and beyond what their normal duty is. And they're assigned to the hot team. It's the homeless outreach team. They have a heart for the homeless. They don't want to put handcuffs on our homeless. They have a heart for the homeless, but they want to get the homeless off the streets, out of the intersections. Mm-hmm. We need to get the homeless out of the intersections. It's too dangerous. They, want, they have a heart for getting them connected to services or moving on to their next city. So we have two officers assigned to the homeless outreach team, but they are supported by code enforcement. Code enforcement is a phenomenal team in the city of San Marcos, works very closely with us and the fire department, the fire marshal's office, and the city's city marshal's office. Now, we have done a lot of work on homelessness. We hired Dr. Marbut, M-A-R-B-U-T. If your listeners are curious, they can Google Marbut, M-A-R-B-U-T, consulting. In May of 2023, this year, he published a report on homelessness and the status in San Marcos. And he lays out, he delineates some very specific things that we need to do to be intentional with our homeless neighbors. So I know we're about out of time, time, but one of the things I want to say is we need to all agree that giving a dollar or two out of your window is doing nothing to end homelessness in San Marcos. Good. It's your decision. I just want to sensitize you to if you will take those $2 and put it with my $2 and put it with your $2, Marianne, and we give it to Southside Community, they can leverage that larger amount of donation to actually help us end homelessness in San Marcos. So we need to move from a hand out to a hand up. I just want to really sensitize our listeners to that. Well, we... uh Rob uh, mentioned and asked me to talk about the toy drive for the South Side community. Don't they have some beds? I know they pro- uh, provide meals, but I thought they had like 11 or so many beds that they do for homeless folks, put yeah, them up overnight or I'm something. glad you mentioned that because I completely forgot about that. So it's South Side Community Housing and Services. That's what officially is okay. called. And what the city has said is we believe that Southside Community Housing and Services should be our flagship 
for helping us end homelessness. Okay. So we are encouraging all of our community stakeholders to list leverage, relationship, and funding and resources behind Southside so that we can bolster their transitional housing. You're right, they do have a few beds. They're gonna need many more if we're gonna yeah. be intentional with 200 plus neighbors. So, are, so I, I remember in the San Marcos paper, there was a lead story about Southside community receiving donations and all mm -hmm. that. So I, I love hearing you support what they're doing. I, yes. I, need, I thought it was just meals and then I read about beds, but that that's something you and your force and the community are supporting, I, I will be more apt to donate to them. Yeah, we are very strong supporters of Southside, uh, so please definitely consider that. That's wonderful. Rob is giving us the hurry up and finish, and, and I think we are. I, I'm, maybe, maybe you will come back and join us again and share. This has been a real eye-opener in knowing more about our community, and I appreciate your time and yeah. appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. And to all of our citizens in San Marcos and even beyond and those who are going to commute, uh, God bless you and stay safe. Stay safe. Thank you. See you next month.